0: starting school, whether you're doing homeschool or going to a new place, that it is a big deal. And so our blessings and our prayers are with each of you students. Know that you are not alone as you begin this new school year. Will you all pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When was the last time that you received an offer? Maybe it was an offer for a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Or maybe it was an offer for someone to grab you a Starbucks drink on the way into work. Offers can come in all shapes and sizes. Lottery tickets offer the chance of riches. This week in DFW, Restaurant Week begins and that offers people the opportunity to dine at a really fancy restaurant, still for a fancy price, but to get the opportunity of being there with a set menu. They want you to get a taste of what it's like. Politicians offer a lot of things to their constituents, new roads, more money for schools, confidence that you have someone speaking up for you. Even the Olympics offer the opportunity for athletes to receive a medal. Offers can be really big things and they can often be really complicated. Recently, my family was in the market to buy a home. Yes, in all the craziness of the current housing market, there we were smack dab in the middle. We began seriously looking for a new home right after the new year with apparently every other person in the entire Metroplex and many from even out of state, you know what I'm talking about. Finding a house slowly began to consume our every thought. It's all we were doing on our phones. It's all we were talking about. We currently live in a townhome that has three stories and with a baby that you can see is now walking everywhere. This is a little bit of a problem and put an urgency on us to find a new home. And each time we put in an offer, We would dream about how we would make this home our home. And as our rejection letters began to pile up, we were anxious about what we must be doing wrong. And we questioned how we could sweeten up what we were offering As we continued to look at houses, we would read articles online about DFW homebuyers who were offering sellers, who were offering their perspective, whoever they were trying to buy a house from, uh, for instance, a pizza every week at their local pizza shop that they owned. We didn't have a pizza to offer to anyone. I mean, I could make a pizza, but you probably don't want that. And we also heard stories that some buyers would offer to clear out any junk that the old homeowners wanted to leave there. They could just leave it behind and the new people would clear it out. Also something I didn't really want to offer. Even today, a lot of successful buyers of homes in this area are offering and buying without even stepping foot in the house they're putting an offer on. These extreme, out-of-the-norm, out of the enticing offers have completely changed the housing market. They've shifted the understanding of what's normal. These offers have gotten really complicated. Offers come in all shapes and sizes with a ton of complexities. And still, a few offers have this power, have this way of being life-changing. A few offers can have generational effects. This sermon series, this back-to-school series, we are focusing on the story of Abraham and Sarah, formerly known as Abram and Sarai. We'll use both forms of this, their names throughout the series, depending on where we're in Scripture. So if I say Abram, trust me, I'm talking about Abraham. We're all on the same page here. Early on in the book of Genesis, Abram receives a message directly from God. God commands Abram to pack up all his things and leave his homeland, leave the place where he has roots, where he has relationships, where he has wealth, and to go on a new journey. Abram is told by God that if he leaves, if he chooses to listen to God and follow God, that God will bless him with many, many descendants. This is the first sign of a covenant between God and Abram. As the years go on, Abram becomes old, and he still does not have any descendants. He followed where God sent him. He left everything he knew behind, and he also made some mistakes along the way, too. Abram made some decisions based on what he thought was best, and not necessarily what God actually intended. And that's where we find Abram today. We're going to pick up in the 15th chapter of Genesis. Let's start this morning with verses, I think, one through six. Sounds great. Hear these words. After these events, the Lord's word came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your protector. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you possibly give me since I still have no children? The head of my household is Eliezer, a man from Damascus. He continued, Since you, God, haven't given me any children, the head of my household will be my heir. The Lord's word came immediately to him. This man will not be your heir. Your heir will definitely be your own biological child. Then God brought Abram outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars if you think you can count them. God continued, This is how many children you will have. Abram trusted the Lord, and the Lord recognized Abram's high moral character. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let the church say, thanks be to God. God reminds Abram that he's offered him this life-changing gift, this promise that he will have all of these descendants of his own, that he will have so many descendants, they'll rival the number of stars in the sky. It is a huge covenant between God and God's people. This is actually the only the third covenant throughout the whole Bible up until this point. The first one, God made with Adam and Eve. The second one, God made with Noah. And then we get this. And for us here today, as post-Jesus life people, we, we have the full story. We have the whole Bible. We know what's going to happen. Abram doesn't have that luxury. He's living it out in real life, in real time. Abram is singled out by God amongst all the people. And God offers Abram something that may seem too good to be true. Abram's an old man, And God promises to give him an actual heir, someone of his own flesh and blood that will continue on his legacy and create an innumerable line of descendants. As we get deeper into Abram's story, the complications are only going to grow. But today, I want us to sit with this complication, this covenant offered to Abram, from God. A promise of legacy, of future generations, of an everlasting imprint on the world. Verse 6 of our scripture, the one we ended on, says this, Abram trusted the Lord, and the Lord recognized Abram's high moral character. Abram trusts that God will give him a legacy of offspring For many years. But it isn't quite that clear cut because in the next few verses, we see that Abram still has some questions. He still wants to understand what God really means, what's really involved, what's the fine print here. Even though we just read that Abram trusts God, our reading continues with verse seven and eight. God said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram said, Lord, how do I know that I will actually possess it? I feel this. Yes, God, I trust you about that one part. But now I have some questions about this other part. The covenant between God and Abram is complicated. God promises to give Abram descendants and land if Abram only trusts and follows God. But Abram wants to get back to that fine print. He wants some reassurance. It isn't that he all of a sudden loses his trust in God. He just yearns to have some proof, some type of collateral to know that he's put his trust in the right God. I have been involved in a number of leadership programs, and while they're really great, everyone should be involved in leadership. The thing I really dislike about all of those types of programs and trainings are the physical activities I don't mind reading a book about how to be a better leader. I don't even mind getting with a group of people and going through hypotheticals on what to do in certain situations and how a leader should respond. But the minute I'm asked to stand up and grab a partner, or to line up against a wall with a group, I start to panic. My heart starts beating a little faster. I worry about what they're going to have me do, and if I'm being honest, if I'm about to embarrass myself. I begin looking for all of the exits and anxiously trying to make panic eye contact with others to see if someone else is freaking out as much as me. I especially dislike doing physical activities where I am required to put my trust My well-being in someone else's hands. You know what I'm talking about, the blindfold activities or the trusty trust falls where you just lean back and people are supposed to catch you. But this type of activity is not the worst trust activity I've ever done. As an intern in my home church, I took a youth group to a ropes course because that's a super fun activity to bond together. And there we did an activity I have never seen done anywhere, and I could not even find photo proof of it on the internet, which tells you it was totally safe for us to be doing. So here we are in the middle of the wilderness, because that's where you do ropes courses. And there is a big, huge ladder, like a firefighter length ladder, height, whatever. And it has ropes on four sides of it. And all of us are supposed to pull back on the ropes, and the ladder comes up and stands. So the ladder on two legs is standing and is supported by mostly children holding ropes to hold it up. So the first few kids that climb to the top and come down, they're some of our smaller friends, and they scurry right up and down. They do a great job. We cheer them on. And then that ropes course instructor says, hey, it would be great if we had an adult try this. And I am nominated to climb the ladder. I do not want to. I say no. I am still forced to do this. All of these are red flags for everyone. And I want to prove that I trust in the youth group I'm leading, and so I make it up like five rungs, maybe two feet in the air at best, and then I scamper down and run away. <laughs> I'm the adult leader, and I just bail, I run. In all of these types of physical activities where we have to put our trust in others, for me, it's not that I don't trust the other people. Honestly, if I gave them an assignment or some type of task to accomplish, I probably trust that they're going to do it. Or if I have a secret or something confidential, I trust them. It's that physical well-being part that I have a little more trouble with. But that doesn't mean I don't have trust in others. Abram wants some more reassurance. He wants more information. It's not that he doesn't trust God. It's that he would like to know more about the situation. I get that. You can trust people and still have questions. And... As we just read, when Abram asks God how he will know that he will really possess this land that God has promised, Abram is given a task by God. God has Abram make an offering. Up until this point in scripture, as Abram has traveled and followed God's calling in his life, Abram has built these altars, but these altars have never had an offering on them. This is the first time Abram makes an offering to God. It is through this offering that Abram is reassured of the covenant, that Abram is brought near to God and reassured that the covenant is secure. After Abram makes this offering, we read these verses, still in chapter 15. We're going to read verses 13 through 21. Then the Lord said to Abram, have no doubt that your descendants will live as immigrants in a land that isn't their own, where they will be oppressed slaves for 400 years. That's a pretty long time, y'all. But after I punish the nation they serve, they will leave it with great wealth. As for you, Abram, you will join your ancestors and be and in peace, and be buried after a good, long life. The fourth generation will return here since the Amorites' wrongdoing won't have reached its peak until then. After the sun has set and darkness has deepened, a smoking vessel with a fiery flame passed between the split-open animals. That's the offering. That day, the Lord cut a covenant with Abram. To your descendants I give this land— from Egypt's river to the great Euphrates, together with the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Giggershites, and the Jebusites. Everybody needs a fun little word challenge there. God reassures Abram of his offer of descendants and land. God enters into a covenant. But it's complicated because this is all future talk, things that are yet to happen. And it's still complicated because we know, I'm going to say it again, Abram is old. He has yet to have any children of his own. And it's complicated because God seemingly came out of nowhere and chose Abram. Abram must be going through all of the emotions. He probably feels confusion, doubt, impatience, exasperation. And still, I can't shake that sixth verse. Abram trusted the Lord, and the Lord recognized Abram's high moral character. Trust in life's complications, that's what it all comes back to. Who has our trust? How do we decide who to trust? What kind of trust do we have in God when it comes to our own personal lives? I've always struggled with platitudes especially as they relate to Christianity. Phrases like, trust in God and everything will work out. They always sounded hollow to me. They sound like passivity and like we're called to just be bystanders to our own lives. I love reading this particular passage about Abram because it shows that we can trust in God and We can ask questions. We can still yearn for more details. There's nothing wrong in the asking of questions. Abram is real with God. Abram asks how he'll know the land God promised to him will really be his. And his question is okay. God does not yell at him. God doesn't retract what he said in verse 6. Instead, God enters into a covenant to demonstrate the steadfastness offered. God offers each of us an everlasting love with no strings attached. It's an offering offered to all of us for all time, an offering of a lifetime of grace and love, and the promise and reassurance that we are never alone. I'd argue it's also an invitation to enter into a space that there's room for questions and clarifications. As I deconstructed my own faith in college and in seminary, I came to terms that I wasn't any less of a Christian because sometimes I got mad at God. Sometimes I even questioned what God was calling me to do. I often ask God why terrible things happen in the world. I have used God as my punching bag many times throughout my life. I've brought God my anger, my tears, my questions, my doubt, my despair, my apathy, and I've laid them down at God's feet. And guess what? I believe that each time I did so, God was big enough to handle my emotions. Faith is complicated. Being called to love one another and to love God is a hard ask for many of us. And still, it is what is asked. Having trust doesn't mean necessarily that we just stand by and assume that everything will be good for forever. Instead, trust is how we anchor ourselves in complicated moments. Trust is what frees us to ask questions and rest assured that we won't be abandoned when we do so. Abram accepted what God offered to him, and still he continued the dialogue. He continued the conversation. He yearned for clarification and assurance that he would not be alone we, too, are offered that kind of love and presence from our creator, a God who cares deeply for each of us. May we each choose to trust God while still acknowledging that faith is complicated, but that our God is big enough for our complicated lives.